A new bill, SB 145, it's getting a lot of negative attention from people on both sides of the aisle. Did she consent? Did he consent? Or did they do that because they were scared to death? It's mind-boggling that it's not really being looked at in terms of consent. How do you fight against it? And I just say, you got to make your voice heard. And now, The Safety Zone. Welcome, Mike, to another episode of The Safety Zone. We're going to talk about something today that is disturbing, but also relevant in the sense of making news and headlines. And, and that's about a particular law in the state of California that is getting a lot of ink, as you would say, in the media. And I'm just going to dive right in and tell us about this law that is really causing some concern throughout our nation, but and in the Christian community, faith communities, but just in general. Absolutely. California Senate Bill 145. And what's most alarming is it's passed both houses of the legislature in California. So it's actually a one signature away from Governor Newsom. If he signs this, it is law. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been doing violence prevention for a long time, 30 years. But to start to see these kind of policy shifts in legislative bodies is really, really scary how quickly this is appearing. And so really, what, what Senate Bill 145 at a very high level, what it's really doing is it's saying that for statutory rape, if you're a child, and they're not using the term child, but I am because a 14-year-old is a child. Mm -hmm. If you're 14 or over and that relationship is less than 10 years, so if I'm 14 and he or she's 23, then I can be convicted of statutory rape. However, if I consented to the sexual relationship, I do not have to register as a sex offender in California. Now, I think they're putting a spin on this. They're trying to say it's an equalizing piece of legislation that gay and, and lesbian relationships are treated at the same level that heterosexual relationships are being treated. But for me, this is more about the use of the word consent. And mm -hmm. can a 14, 15, 16-year-old truly give consent? And I'm going to say within the first minute of this podcast, it can't happen. They do not give consent. They are not old enough to give consent. But it is really, really on face value, a scary, scary piece of legislation. And I get it. We look and we deal with legislation every single year. And what do they say? A piece of legislation always has unintended consequences. And what they mean by that is we don't know everything we're doing when we pass this piece of legislation. I'm telling you, this one's going to have incredible unintended consequences based on what this bill is taking away. My initial, when I read the articles and just kind of dived in myself, you know, my initial thought as a, as a mom of a teenage daughter is that most psychologists, there's numerous books out about the, the minds, the brain development of teenagers. And to put the onus on consent for a, you know, whether it's a teenage girl or boy, uh, I'm not secluding that, but I just think in terms of my own daughter, it's like how their ability to even give consent, to me, comes in question. It also comes into question is, Mike, how does this affect women, young women and, and women, quite honestly, in the sense of their ability to 
speak out when they're abused. Their ability to speak out in these situations with something like this, with this law, it just seems to me like it's putting, kind of squishing them down once again. No, I absolutely agree. 30 years I've been dealing with primarily violence against women and children. Mm -hmm. I can remember years ago when I was a detective, and I don't know how many times I would say to our officers, we had 1,200 police officers on our department. We were a really pretty large department. And as we were doing training, I would say, why is it that crimes against women and children, but primarily crimes against women, why are we always asking questions of them like, did you say no? Did you fight? Did you... We're always asking victims questions. I said, we've never walked into a bank robbery and asked the teller, did you tell him no? Did you tell him he couldn't have the money? Mm -hmm. No, he had a big gun pointed at me. We don't ask those same questions of other crime victims. And the first thing, when you look at this piece of legislation, the first place I went is exactly where you just went, was there is no voice from a survivor here. Mm-hmm. They talk to nobody that has ever been through this because there's no way this bill makes it out of both sides of that chamber. No possible way if you talk to women or men that have been victims of sexual abuse can't happen. Mm -hmm. So the voice of the survivor is completely missing from this piece of legislation right here. And consent, what does that mean? Exactly. Who is the judge jury on whether consent was given or not given? And I know Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit more, but how do you define that? How do you define Mm -hmm. consent? And I'm going to tell you, we've trained judges all over the United States. Those are powerful positions, and it's so difficult for people in powerful positions like judges to put themselves in positions where they have no power and understand what you're saying to me. So mm-hmm. for them to understand consent, are we, are they going to fall into the normal cultural myths that we have? Well, she didn't say no. She didn't fight. She only smiled and didn't do anything. And then actually consented. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did she consent? Did he consent? Or did they do that because they were scared to death of what was about to happen? Or how far it would go. Exactly. And so we have to, if I'm looking at this and I have children, focus on what this bill is talking about with consent and kids and adults having sexual relationships. And there's a group that's been around since 1978. I don't even like to mention them because I don't even want people going on their website and acknowledging that they exist. But it is an association that has been promoting that it is normal Mm-hmm. to have consensual men-boy sexual relationships. And they have been lobbying for normalization since 1978. This is going right down that same path. That is exactly what this bill is trying to do, is to normalize abnormal behavior. Exactly. When it all comes down to, it's not an issue of, I mean, in my mind, of homosexual or heterosexual sex. It's an issue of a child, an underage child and someone adult. To me, it couldn't be any clearer. And yet, we're basically saying, well, that's okay, or that's that's a different situation. But we know it's not. I think what my fear is, too, is just, Mike, what is this? What 
can this open up if this does pass in in terms of just protecting boys? It's both both ways. It could be a teacher, right, at school. Give us some scenarios here, because I'm just thinking of teachers. And nowadays, it's not just male and, and going after the female. It's female teacher. It's I mean, there's just all sorts of cans of worms here. But how does it affect these situations? And especially for the person that is the victim, that's hard enough as it is for them to come forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If we even take one step back and say, there's so many parts our society that we have already legally recognized that because of the position, consent is not allowed. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that, Indiana, where, we're he- where I'm headquartered and where I live, in Indiana, if you have a sexual relationship with a student, it is a felony crime. Now, you could be an 18-year-old in student, and you could be a 22-year-old first-year teaching. If you're not in a student-teacher relationship outside of the school district, that's a permissible relationship. You're both consenting adults. But because of the powered relationship mm-hmm. and the belief that you cannot freely give consent, it is a felony crime. It's no different at a police academies. I've taught at police academies all over the United States. When they bring in young recruits, if an instructor begins to have a relationship with somebody that's going through that academy, mm-hmm. there is a belief you cannot provide consent. They are in a position of power above you. I've seen some of these church incidents recently where a pastor has a relationship with somebody, a member, both adults. Right. But because of that relationship, that power relationship, can I truly give you consent? And so our country has already said, we get that you can't always give consent, even when you're adults. But now we're going to say a 14-year-old can consent. I don't think a 14-year-old can consent. I've got girls, I'm telling you. I've got two girls, and one is 15 and one is 12. They can't consent to this. That is not normal. And so, yes, it, it opens up a Pandora's box of problems because I feel like for 25 to 30 years, we have been pushing in the right direction in this country. Yeah, I'm an impatient person. Yeah, I'm the domestic violence and sexual assault movement. I've never been satisfied by the slow turning wheels and, and the lack of speed by which we're pushing change. And now all of a sudden, everything that I've been doing for the last 30 years, I'm starting to see now these changes can undo every bit of progress Mm -hmm. that we've made over the last quarter of a century in one swoop of an ink pen as this law gets signed in. We already have major problems with reporting. We talked about this in an earlier podcast. When you talk about victims of sexual violence, it is one of the lowest reported crimes of any that we have. And now you're going to encourage me to report? I don't think so. It's really, really frightening what this particular piece of legislation stands for. Mike, since I'm sure people have read the articles, probably haven't read the legislation, nor I, but how does this affect the schools or churches or even companies where, like you said, that have the authority figure and certainly 14 and up? It could be youth groups. It could, of course, be junior high, high school, middle school. Will this impact all that you're doing with your company and protecting kids. There's multiple ways it's going to impact. And 
the first way that it's going to impact, it's very common when, say, we do a background check and we find somebody that's a sexual offender. And believe me, it's a topic that was in my office yesterday. And as we were discussing it in my office, and this was at a personal level, somebody on our team that had been introduced to a guy, had known this man for a while, all of a sudden he started behaving oddly around their children. And they went and looked, instinct, and he was on the registry. What if he wasn't? Right. The first thought would have been, okay, maybe I'm overreacting. The second part to that is the most common thing that you hear from a predator. They're going to blame the victim. And I don't care if they're a uh, sexual predator or if we're talking about statutory rape like this particular bill is apparently addressing. What these offenders commonly do is they'll blame the victim or they'll they'll explain it away. Well, yeah, she might've been 16 and I was 24. However, she showed me a fake ID and said she was 19. So she actually was the one that lied to me. I didn't know any different. And so now all of a sudden I'm running a background check for a teacher. I'm running a background check for a youth minister. And it shows up on a background check of a statutory rape case, but I look and I say, well, there's no registry entry. So they weren't required to register as a sex offender because they'll explain it away as, hey, the law said this, she lied to me. She said she was 19. I didn't know she was 15. That's why I didn't have to register. So it's going to provide a defense for them that may allow them to walk into doors where they have more opportunities with children. The other part of this is we have a solution called Safe Visitor that's used by thousands of school districts. And we have California school districts. And so oftentimes, certain levels of visitors to, say, a school district are not required to have a full background check, they can just scan in and out with their driver's license. We identify them. And what we do is we run a sex offender check and run to make sure they're not excluded for any reason to be on that premise. Well, they're not going to show up on a sex offender registry, so they're not going to show up in that check. It's not even going to flag them as they come in the door as somebody that has potentially been convicted of a sexual offense, but they weren't required to register. So you start to look downstream and start to see how many opportunities we're removing for keeping people away from children who have had an abnormal relationship with them. So we're going backwards. We're unraveling years of hard work to protect, to protect people. And we're unraveling that. It's distressing as a parent, but it's just distressing overall because the victims are always the ones that tend to get the short end of the stick, the sense of, of justice. And at a time right now in our nation, rightly so, you know, we you want justice for people. And, and we need to remember that kids are still kids. When they're underage, they're underage for a reason, right? They're not declared an adult until a certain time. And it's mind boggling that is not really being looked at in terms of consent. For sure. If you look at it, safety and security is the foundation of a thriving society. And this is just one example of many that's happening kind of in parallel right now where we're seeing kind of chaos and the fabric of safety and security kind of eroding. But when you look at this particular bill, there is 
no greater responsibility of the government than to protect its citizens, but protect children. Why do we have Department of Children? Why do we have all of these organizations to help protect the most vulnerable of our populations? And now we're starting to write legislation that is not only removing layers of protection, but can further create opportunities for other children to be harmed as well. Mike, we're not a, um, of course, a political organization by any means. We're not Republican, Democrat, or we, we don't dive into any of that. And we all have a lot of diversity here at, at Safe Hiring, Safe Ministry. But for our friends that are out in California, and you have clients that are in California, whether they be schools or churches or businesses, what is your advice to them? If they're looking at this, of course, close, up front and close, because they're there in California. What is your advice to them in terms of protecting themselves, continuing to do what they need to do? Do you have any advice? I would flood the governor's office right now. Make your voice heard. You know, I think a lot of times we passively sit back Mm -hmm. and we believe that we don't have a right or even a vehicle to share our voice, our thoughts on pieces of legislation. And I've been doing this for quite a while. And I'll be honest with you, I I began interacting with legislative bodies more because of some of the changes they were making in laws that was going to negatively impact my business. And I can remember I was sitting outside one of the house chambers in this particular state with the attorney that we were working through, government affairs attorney, somebody I'd known for a long time, good friend. And he said, Mike, you've got to understand, you are a citizen of this state. Yeah, They want to hear from you. Make your voice heard. So many people, they may tell their spouse, they may tell their friends, they may get upset, but they don't take their full opportunity to make their voice heard to their representatives. And I think if we always have these silent majorities, I am yeah. hard pressed to believe that average families moms and dads in California really believe that if they have children, that their 14-year-old child can give any kind of consent to a sexual relationship to somebody 23 years old. I'm hard-pressed to believe they feel that way. But how many of them don't understand how to make their voice heard? How do you Mm -hmm. impact this legislation? How do you fight against it? And I just say, you got to make your voice heard. Mm -hmm. That's why these public officials have emails. They have staffers. They have telephone numbers, write letters. I have sat in hearings where one legislator is trying to push a bill through, and I can distinctly remember watching one of the representatives. He was flipping through his iPad, Mm -hmm. and he had some loyalty to the man who had written the bill. He had no loyalty to me and the group that was opposing it. But he had greater loyalty to his constituents. Yes. And as he flipped through it to 10 years later, I can still see him flipping through it when he looked up at that state senator and he said, but sir, this is what all my clients or my constituents are saying to me. And he voted with his constituents, even though he wanted to vote with the policymaker. So make your voice heard. And that's a true statesman, because again, this is in our republic, it's a representative government, and they're there to be the voice of their constituency. So it doesn't matter, again, what party you're with or independent. 
it's just, it's an issue of concern about our children and in many, many different aspects, but especially in authority figure aspects that we've worked so hard to secure our kids at, at schools and secure our kids at church. And we're still doing that, secure our kids in different public life in terms of on the business side. So we just encourage you to to reach out and to let your voice be heard on this as a concerned parent in a nice way, respectful way, of course, and let your voice be heard by those that will be voting on this. And Mike, do you have any other offers of advice in terms of just going about and doing what they uh, do on a regular basis and protect them? If you don't work in this space like I have for so long, it's very easy to confuse that this is about some kind of normal consented sexual relationships. When you understand sexual violence and sexual abuse, this is a crime of power and control. This is not a crime of sex. I have said a hundred thousand times probably, sex is the vehicle being used to assert power and control over somebody. It's no different than if I used physical power and control. It is just the vehicle. They are using sex as that tool. And so we too often confuse that this is about sexuality. This is a crime of power and control. And and that's what it is at its foundation. This is not normal behavior. It is abnormal behavior for a 14-year-old and a 23-year-old to be in a relationship and they cannot consent. Well, Mike, we appreciate as always, your insight and your passion on keeping people safe and especially keeping our children safe. And we do encourage, again, all those that are listening, especially our friends in California, to make your voices heard and to reach out in an appropriate way. Send you know, emails, calls, and do what you can so that legislators in California can hear and know what their constituents are concerned about. And and that's that's an important part of what you can do. And Mike, as always, thank you for sharing with us. And we look forward to a, another podcast coming up soon. Thanks, Melinda. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.